The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. It's nine days since Manchester United's men last played, but never fear, this pod is still packed with the good stuff. We're going to be dipping into our mailbag to answer the best of your questions. We'll look back at a quite crazy Manchester derby in the WSL over the weekend, and we'll have an international roundup of our Reds in action as well, including some quite concerning news about Raphael Varane. Okay, time to introduce our crew this Monday then. First up, it's our very own wedding crasher, Laurie Whitwell. Hi, Laurie. Hi, Ian. How you doing? <laughs> good wedding? It was fantastic, actually. It was a little place good. outside Preston. Yurts, good bar, good good music, and obviously some dancing. Plenty of crayfish, I imagine, as well. <laughs> and also the editor of United We Stand, Andy Mitten. Good to see you again, Andy. You all right? Hi, Ian. Yeah, all good. Looking forward to this. Excellent. Right, it's the depths of the international break, isn't it? But we've got lots to talk about still. Uh, and we're going to start actually with a fans Q&A. Lots of you have been getting in touch and responding to Laurie's message or request, I should say, on the real-time section of the Athletics app for your pointers for the boys. Um, but we're going to start actually this section with talking about the fans forum, the details of which were released last week, Andy, but it actually took place on the 24th of September. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And, and Joel Glazer, again, was present, which uh, surprised a couple of people who were there. Uh, I asked some people who were there and they, they said the meeting was uh, assertive. Um, the, the, they're pushing um, Joel Glazer to come back on some of the promises made in the Junes fan forum, which we covered in depth in, in The Athletic. United put the minutes out on, on Friday and it was basically the, the club's view is a, an optimistic one in general that they absolutely back Holly. Um, they explained about the role of John Murta. John was at the fans forum. So he became sort of visible publicly for the first time in terms of, of what he said. He came up with a standout line really, didn't he? About ignoring the online noise. Yeah. And that divides uh, opinions. I can understand it. Why shouldn't the club push back sometimes? You know, every single tweet Manchester United's official account puts out is met by the most bizarre, abusive answers. It, it's really, really odd. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a recent phenomenon. And I think the, the club's point is we, we've got good people in positions and we're going to continue with this project. We're making progress. We're, we're going to get setbacks. But I think we listen to fans on one level, but you cannot listen to some of the online noise. It's ridiculous. I'll give you one example. A year ago, someone with a huge following, anonymous, a lot of them are anonymous, uh, said, you know, it's time for United to ditch De Gea, Henderson's the man. And imagine if United would have listened to that. And uh, as someone said to me, why should we listen? I mean, if, you, if, you're, um, if you're a surgeon, right, and you're in theatre and you've, you've spent years and years getting to a position where you can carry out complicated uh, operations, and someone with no qualifications comes in at the, as you're doing, um, I don't know, a liver transplant and says, yeah, mate, you might just want to um, think about going a bit lower there and you might just want to forget the liver and move to, to the lungs. 
he'd just be left out of the theatre. He wouldn't be even being in the theatre. And you get a lot of that in football. Basically, people with no qualifications give advice to people who are far better qualified. And on one hand, that is football. That's one thing I love about football. I love the fact that my mum tells me where Manchester United are going wrong or my grandma used to. And that's what makes football so popular because everybody has an opinion. But on the other side, and Luis Enrique, the Spain manager, said it last week, he said, why should I listen to you? I know more about my job than you do. I know what I'm doing. I've spent my whole life doing this at an exceptionally high level. Why should I listen to advice from you? And that really put noses out of joint. And I can see both sides to it. Everyone likes to talk about football. But one issue with, with online is that, that the most extreme opinions get amplified by the algorithms of the social media giants, which we've seen a lot of in, in non-football news in the last couple of weeks. And United have got to deal with this. And if they want to push back against that, then they're entitled to do that. Then again, fans are also entitled to their opinions. That little example you gave there, Andy, are you saying United squad needs surgery then? Is that what you meant? <laughs> I think every football squad always needs <laughs> surgery, always needs additions. I've yet to meet a football fan in the world who says everything's fine, sure. we don't need to sign anybody at all. Scalpel, please. Right, let's get on then to your questions. Let's have a forum of our own because we've had a brilliant reaction to Laurie's request for questions on the real-time section of the Athletics app. So first up... He writes a lot. It's only right we start with him. Vigesh, hello what, to you. <laughs> nice to see your questions again. Uh, how is Rashford's recovery going and when could we see him back in the team? Delighted to see him receive his honorary degree. Feel so proud to call him a Manchester United player. I think we all feel like that, Laurie, don't we? Yeah, it was lovely to see, wasn't it, last week You know, with the motorboard and the, the scroll um, and you know, he had everybody around there that had supported him. So Alex made an appearance as well. So it was, it was a nice touch, nice... Um, sort of acknowledgement of the kind of work that he does outside of the pitch, which I think you know it, it can be it can be a stick that he gets beaten with sometimes. You know the fact that he's sort of put put his head above the parapet and and tried to do something socially to to make a difference. And uh, actually, this was a nice reminder that he's a good force. I think you know in terms of what he's doing um, on the pitch, he's clearly where he wants to be. Um, he, I think he's missing playing football. Um, he played in a. Uh, closed door friendly against Blackburn Rovers last week. I'm told the score was 3-0 and he scored twice. So not a bad return to action after, I think, three months out. I think United were trying to keep it a little bit under wraps, not really wanting to put too much out there because really it's just about players getting um, you know minutes under their belts. But um, yeah, I think he is back in contact training and you've got that Leicester game that for a while has been sort of circled as a potential return for him and I think we'll see him back in the squad for that game I just can't I can't see how um, you know with, with what United need to do um, as a team and, and sort of respond I think he'll, he'll be a feature in that squad Yeah he might be playing centre half yet which we'll get to <laughs> later on in the show because there's a little bit of a problem there that's just cropped up during this international break Next question then Shatter Drew Lone Watch and Under 23 updates please Well to be honest with you we're not going to do an overall picture of, of loans and the under-23s on this podcast. We'll, we'll do it very soon, Shatterdrew, I promise. But we've got a really interesting update on one lone player in particular, which, Andy, you've been writing about, Palestri. Yeah, I went to see him in Vittoria, in the Basque Country, a couple of weeks ago. He came on for the last 29 minutes. He played really well against Atletico Madrid, who are the champions, and Alaves got their first win of the season. And then I sat down with him after the game for, for over an hour, and he's, he's a really nice young lad. He, he speaks very good English. And he just told me about his life story. 
so far and it's up there now on the athletic there's loads of really interesting lines uh, in there uh, he, he wants to be playing more that which is entirely understandable he's been coming on as substitute he's featured in seven of the eight games obviously it's La Liga so it's a really high standard and I spoke to people at the club and fans of Alaves they want to see him start him they're not the managers so and they don't listen to online either in Alaves, so <laughs> they're not going to start changing their decisions. I, I think for him, he does need to be playing more minutes. Let's be realistic about it. Manchester United review all of the players who are out on loan around this time of the year. They do have clauses to bring them back if they're not satisfied with how the loans are going. Uh, I don't think there's any urgency uh, with um, Palestri's situation in, in the Basque country. Uh, he's very happy there. He feels that the city's come alive again after all of the lockdowns. He feels that he had a very good pre-season at Manchester United, which he did. He, was, he played really well at Derby away, for example. And he's got something. Will he make it at United and become a superstar in the first team? I don't know the answer to that. I just spoke to him about his life story so far, which is a really good one. And you can see the feedback it's getting off the, the Athletic. And the more minutes he can get playing in La Liga, playing in places like the Bernabeu and and camp now, uh, the, the 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 better he will be. He'll become more experienced. He said he's improving. He said the standards of training at United are really, really high, but he felt that by the end of it, um, he, he was comfortable with it. Look at it from a human perspective as well. In the last year, he's lived in Montevideo, Manchester, Vitoria, back to Manchester, back to Vitoria. During the lockdown situation, a lot of that as well. And he's also had COVID. So... You know, he's a, he's, a, he's a young lad finding his way in the world, living on another continent for the first time. He nearly didn't sign for United. There's a very funny story about why that didn't happen. So I'm not going to spoil it. But I think he's in a good place at a good club. And I, I spoke to a lot of the people at that club at every level, uh, right up to the, the directors. I just think he needs to be playing more minutes. Yeah. And I think that will happen. Yeah, a bit of a spoiler alert. He talks better than he writes. Go and have a look at that article that Andy's put up there on The Athletic. Brilliant interview with Plestri. And a, an update, hopefully, Shatterdrew, that will just whet your appetite for more updates that we'll bring on the under-23s and loan watch in future weeks. Next question, then, from Anas. And Pat also touched on this, actually, as well. So hello to you both. What exactly are Ollie and the coaching team doing to change recent performances, Laurie? I mean, we've we've spoken a lot in recent weeks about... The issues that United are facing in terms of the, the tactical problems there's been, also obviously the, the problem with team selection and, and getting the balance right. Andy and I spoke on the last podcast as well about the way that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has brought back the feeling that you're watching a Manchester United team again, which is a an achievement that maybe the last few managers hadn't had post-Ferguson. Um, but what about tangible things? What, what has he done tangibly different? to ensure that United are, are Manchester United and are playing at the levels that they're at and are going to improve on what's been a pretty up-and-down start to the season. Yeah, I think it's a difficult thing to put your finger on when there's an international break just because there's so many players away. Ideally, yeah, he'd want you know a good training block where he can have them all in and going through the different drills that they need to be doing to get those you know those recognisable signatures, I suppose, as, as to what you want your teams to play like. There's a few little bits where I've looked at it and thought that's clearly something off the training ground. So you know the Paul Pogba ball in behind, sort of first time when he's on the turn. You know, to Bruno Fernandes has, has happened a couple of times, and more than that to different players as well when they're sort of making the run across the front line. Um, clearly, you know, I think more needs to be done to get a consistency in the performances. You know, team selection is one thing that 
it's tangible that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could clearly get a team in mind and play it every week because I think when you have players that are so different to each other coming into certain positions so you had Anthony Marshall on the left wing against Everton we've had Paul Pogba there um, in previous times uh, in different matches uh, Ronaldo's obviously drifted out there Jadon Sancho as well Jadon Sancho's played there so all those players are different they bring a different style to that role now is that something that can be you know tailored over time in terms of signings to get players that are you know you can swap one in and one out and you get exact same style of play or is that just something that United are going to have to deal with where it, but that that makes me feel like you'll get these kind of un, unexpected performances from week to week and it's it's basically you know how individuals perform on the day really um, so that is something that Solskjaer does need to address um, in terms of how it actually works at Carrington it's it's basically Kieran McKenna and Michael Carrick that take the training sessions they get together with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Mick Phelan before going out to sort of uh, assess what the sessions are going to be Mick Phelan's a very respected coach he's been there for a long long time um, you know coaching the best players you know some of the best players in the world obviously Ronaldo when he was first um, at the club so he has that respect and he knows what a good session looks like so you know they go out there and deliver that um, but obviously they are young coaches so it's it's something that is developing and, and that's a question for United to answer you know could they have um, you know more experienced coaches actually doing those drills you know Kieran McKenna is very highly thought of um, but he's only sort of in his mid-30s so he's actually younger I think than Cristiano Ronaldo for example um, so that's just something to consider um, and then when we come to sort of actual you know I suppose acts that Solskjaer can engage on um, the way he is in um, press conferences and, and, and things like that I think he has sort of got better at I think he's taken that on and made sure that he's a presence in those situations rather than before where perhaps it felt like it was something that he had to get through and in a jaw. Um, but yeah, there's there's plenty to I kind of get into and I wish I could say exactly what he needs to do and what, what he is doing to, to, to make things where United are top of the table. But um, I guess we'll see in due course. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. One thing, Andy, that I've noticed in recent matches that perhaps United need to work on is the delivery into Cristiano Ronaldo because the, the, the one aspect that he brings, and Lukaku sort of suffered with this a little bit when he was at United as well, was they don't cross the ball very much, do they? Lukaku got very frustrated and he spoke about this before the Sevilla game, the famous Sevilla game at Old Trafford, in, in a stronger way as someone employed by Manchester United could. And it was basically, they're not getting the ball to me. Now, with with Ronaldo, I spoke to one of his teammates from when he was at United the first time, and and he said he never really did the running. Then we 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 just had legs around him. He said Carlos Tevez did more for Cristiano Ronaldo than people ever gave him credit for, and it was about getting him the ball. Now Cristiano's game has changed as well. Uh, I've watched his games closely since he came back to Manchester United and spoken to people about them. They still say he's really intelligent. With the movement, he's still getting the goals. He's still making 
the incredible statistics that have never deserted him throughout his career. But then he's been a passenger in matches, you know, even in the in the, the Villarreal game uh, where he got all of the headlines, wasn't a lot happening. The Villa match uh, as well. So that that's a slight worry. And at some point, he's going to decline. He has to decline. I just hope it's not on the immediate watch at Manchester United. Yeah, Laurie, I suppose the other factor for United as well is they're going to be playing better teams, aren't they, in this next period? So that is going to naturally bring a, a tactical change, isn't it? Because we've seen United a lot sort of not give the other team the incentive, but certainly sort of sit back a little bit more and try to offer opportunities to themselves on the counter-attack more in the matches against the better teams. It has worked in, in previous seasons that it has actually brought the best out of United in terms of results against better teams in the past. Not so much last season, certainly in the home games, but that's going to be a switch in the next couple of weeks instantly, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And, and Solskjaer has shown repeatedly that he can actually produce a tactical plan to beat the best teams. You know, Liverpool, uh, Man City, Chelsea have all been beaten with sort of tailored strategies, which I think you have to give him credit for. So he, he can study a game, you know, brilliantly and he can, you know, it can figure out what he needs to do in those particular moments. I suppose the, the wider question is what is United's, you know, identity overall, um, which is it, it's something that, I mean, I, I know he's not particularly relevant to Manchester United, but Danny Blind, uh, the who, who works for Holland, sort of came out with this week and sort of said that United sat back against Everton, tried to hit them on the counter once they'd taken the lead. And I don't think that's totally fair, but I think he, he's got a good football brain and it was interesting to hear what he had to say. It was, it was quite strong stuff um, if people want to check it out. But um, I do think that against the top teams, United have probably more tools at their disposal to, to kind of, you know, counter. It's, it's their natural game, really. And that is, you know, you can't ignore it. That is something that's part of United's history. You know, those fast, thrilling counter-attack goals have been some of the best moments for United, um, you know, in the past sort of 20 years. So I don't think you should look down your nose at that kind of approach. But um, but clearly it needs the, the, the right style of opposition, I suppose, to play that way. And yeah, we'll, we'll see, you know, won't we? And it'll be interesting to see, you know, the midfield, you know, Scott McTominay and Fred. That was what Solskjaer turned to after the 6-1 defeat to Spurs last season. It was his insurance policy. But he's tried to get a little bit away from that, um, you know, playing Scott McTominay on his own pretty much against Villarreal meant that United were more susceptible to the counter-attacks that they, they posed. But it was it was an idea to try and get on the front foot against a team that, you know, has proved obdurate, you know, opponents in the past. Um, that's something that they're working on with Scott McTominay, for example, on the training pitches. Can he, you know, can he be the one to sit there and, and have that discipline, have that sort of those particular passes that you need in those moments? Um, that's something that Michael Carrick's working with him on. Um, it can be difficult because Scott McTominay's had a fair few injuries over the past year or so. But they're the kind of things that, you know, United do work on at Carrington. And yeah, I agree with you. I think this run now, you could see actually the best coming from Manchester United. To the points that Laurie made there, Blind's comments, I think a lot of Manchester United fans would actually uh, agree with them. And uh, Dutch people are renowned for being frank, and he was extremely frank. He was, he was very critical to the point that you might say, what's this got to do with you? But he's obviously got a vested interest. In- Free Donny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on, on, on Donny van der Beek, but we're not going to do that. And the other point which, which Laurie made was these tailored formations and the best example is probably Manchester City away in the league last year when Anthony Martial was, was fantastic. And United set up to get a result, but they knew there were huge risks to that. They knew that City would break their lines. They knew that they'd get the ball to their front men. They knew that they'd need to be lucky, but United were lucky and got a win. And as Laurie said, 
sometimes United are at the best against the best. Look at some of the results against Chelsea, against Manchester City, against Paris Saint-Germain. So one issue with United is when teams come to Old Trafford and they do defend deeply, it's a struggle to break them down. And the reason Oli tailors his formations is because he knows he's not got a team of the highest, highest quality yet. In his mind, he's still building this team. He knows that Fernandinho is a better midfielder than any of the lads that he's got at Old Trafford. So he's got to work with the tools that he's got. He feels that he's continued to improve the quality of the players and the tools that he's he's allowed to use at Manchester United, but he's not there yet. And if you said to him now, who would you like to buy? Which position would you like to strengthen? It probably would be that um, holding defensive central midfield position. Is his squad as strong as Liverpool's or Manchester City's? In terms of names, it is, yeah. But then it brings us back to Blinn's point. In terms of performances, there's, there's still some way to go. So these are all legitimate questions, and you can argue both cases pretty strongly. Yeah, you've just previewed the next question very nicely there, Andy, actually. We're not going to ask Ollie, unfortunately, but we're going to ask you and Laurie this. So Daniel's saying, if you could sign one former Manchester United player in their prime for this side, who would it be? Laurie? It's got to be Roy Keane, hasn't it? I don't know. Like, I just think the leadership, the uh, the kind of tenacity, the, the passing as well. You know, he's underrated for his passing, Roy Keane. Um, but yeah, he could he could slot into that midfield quite nicely, couldn't he? And I think drive them on to, to certain victories. Uh, and he, he would not tolerate any slipping of standards. You know, that that can be for sure. And I think Solskjaer would appreciate having someone like that in his dressing room, where he doesn't have to do you know all the bollockings. You know, you can leave it to some of the players. Uh, and obviously, I don't know. Maybe it's a different era now, but I think that would be a pretty choice uh, signing to make. I love the lad at Inter Milan. He's, he's played for, for top clubs. He, he, he scores, he assists. Um, he's getting on a bit now. But I think Alexis Sanchez, if he came to Old Trafford, could actually do a decent job. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm obviously talking nonsense here. You, you, you couldn't see beyond Roy Keane. Keane is, um, was so dominant. He was so good. I only ever saw one player get the better of him in a like-for-like, like, and that was um, Stefan Effenberg at um, Bayern Munich. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I'd like to hear Roy Keane's thoughts on that. That, that was the only player in all the time where I thought, he's done you there, he's been yeah. better than you. Yeah. And and um, What game, Andy? A game in particular? I think it was a game in Munich when Karl Power ran onto yeah, yeah, the pitch yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and stood stood there uh, as uh, a Manchester 2001, was it? Yeah, it was. It was the... The, the white kit with like the, 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 the navy blue detail bits on the arms yeah yeah and um and Bayern were obviously brilliant and Manchester United class at the time they they reached the, the European Cup final didn't quite come off for them but Keane was a top three in the world midfielder and he showed that so many times um I just love someone like him at Old Trafford but then formations have changed. And obviously football's changed as well. And the type of uh, midfielders now who get raved about tend to be more defensive uh, than Keane was. Keane didn't really have a, a, a goal in him. And, and he once told me in an interview, the hardest thing to do is to beat a man. So, but he was just, his passing was so good. It's, it's like Lionel Messi is probably the best passer in the world at the moment and has been for a long time. But that's not the part of his game that people focus on. Keane's passing was so, so good. And obviously his other attributes, his drive. But yeah, Laurie's made a good shout there with Roy Keane. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting what you said, Laurie, before about Scott McTominay and Michael Carrick as well, because aligned to that, the formation changes, needing someone to sit and be a defensive midfielder. Michael Carrick could do well in this lineup. So if he can make Scott McTominay into anything like the player he was, that would be a massive benefit for this team, wouldn't it? For sure, yeah. I suppose it's just, you know, the natural inclination and are you taking something away from Scott McTominay's game by asking him to do that because he's got obviously ridiculous energy you know he does a 10k in 34 minutes you know he's th- th- this not as quick as you I believe it's, it's a few 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 minutes quicker although I was quicker than Michael Carrick I don't know did you see that in that 10k he did it... and he's definitely quicker on a bike anyway <laughs> no doubt about that for sure great uh, piece by the way on that uh, the, your whole cycle from Top top to bottom, bottom to top. Sorry, Andy. Uh, I, I read it the other day. Um, I, I guess I don't. Yeah. Do, do you take something away from it? Someone by asking him just to sit. Um, and do you need just a sitter? You know, obviously there's that debate about actually. You know, midfielders are should be multifunctional, and, and as long as you've got someone covering you, you know, you can go for a, a burst. But I just think McTominay, he often, you know, we saw against Leeds, didn't we, last season, the 6-2, and, and more recently against um, Everton. Some of those bursts that he does as the third-man run are really useful. He actually got that corner that Everton then scored from <laughs> uh, by making one of those sort of um, post, you know, uh, far-post runs beyond the last man. Um, but, I, I mean, yeah, Michael Carrick would be a great... Who would, who would you go for, Ian? What's your, what's your pick? Well, Roy Keane, yeah, back. I'm not suggesting that we should, we should bring <laughs> Michael Carrick back instead of Roy Paul Keane. Paul Scholes might be feeling it, a little bit left out, I suppose. Yeah, it's, I just think it's interesting that you've got a player there who probably would really benefit this team, who is now on the coaching staff yeah. and seems to be trying to make one of the current players into roughly what he was. So I think it'd be interesting to keep an eye on that. Anyway, great question. That was really good. Thank I've you, a, Daniel. I've got a good 10K story, lads, which I think the listeners oh, might, yeah, might on, appreciate. Then. It does involve a Manchester United Has player. Has it got legs? So January 17, I was in Malta with Gary Neville and um, it was a meeting where Gary was meeting lots of Maltese United fans. And one of them came up at the end of the night and said, I've got to excuse myself because I've got a 10K in the morning. And it was at a time when I was doing quite a few of them, not as fast as Laurie, certainly not as fast as McTominay's time, which are really, really fast. And I said to the guy, um, any chance I could do it? And he went, yeah, no problem. And Gary, obviously because he was missing out on something. He was like, well, what's going on? What's going on? Well, well, Gary, I'm just talking to someone. I am allowed to talk to another human. And uh, what are you on about? about? I'm going to do a 10K in the morning. I'll do it. I'll do it. Have you done them before? No, no. All right, well, let's do it then. Seven o'clock in the morning. Let's meet in reception in the hotel. But you've never done one before, Gary. No. So we turn up at the National Stadium in Malta. And Gary's obviously well-known and people start recognising him. And word goes round that Gary Neville is there so there's me Gary's mate and um I very slyly put word out that Gary was expected to finish in the top 10 there was like 600 people and he's never done it before so I'm like he's being modest but he's really fast and he wasn't because he'd never done it before so I said to Gary just stay with me we'll do it we'll we'll we'll, we'll go for like just we'll go for 50 minutes nice and and stable and he wasn't that he wasn't up to that speed. He was really, really good on like shuttle runs. Seriously, you know, he, he very, very good at sprinting. So I obviously left him behind and um finished. And he came in like pretty near the back. And within two hours, in the Times of Malta, there was this story saying former England and Manchester United captain Gary Neville competes in the Malta uh, 10K. He was a surprise entry. And, and he did it, and he got lots of encouragement along the way. And I was going to ring up and complain to them and say, compete? He was, he was nearly last. You're, <laughs> you're not being good journalists. You've got to say he, he was near the back. 
you know, the, the bloke was driving around picking the cones up with his van and saying to Gary, come <laughs> on, mate. <laughs> the, 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 the broom wagon. <laughs> so, yeah, forgive the indulgence of that story, but it's a, a Manchester United-related 10K. And the reason we put that in is because it was the Manchester Marathon and Half Marathon on Sunday. And I dare say a lot of people listening to this would have uh, either been running, I don't know, loads were, or, or supporting along the way. Yeah, congratulations to those who took part in that. That was definitely worth it, Andy, no doubt. Okay, right. While Manchester United's men have been away on international duty, the women have been in action in the WSL and had an incredibly, incredibly eventful draw with Manchester City in the first Manchester derby of the season. Laurie, wow. I mean, it was on the BBC, which was fantastic to see. And they certainly made it worth it, didn't they? Yeah, great game. You know, what more could you ask for? Uh, You know, a red card... Um, that Roy Keane would have been proud of, um, you know. Uh. Yeah, George Stanway's tackle has been compared to Roy Keane, hasn't it? In fact, what former player, forget former player, I'd sign a, a female footballer from the City football team yeah. and bring her into our, our team and she can do that. Yeah, well, there's a good piece on The Athletic, actually, by by Flo, one of our writers, um, on George Stanway, who's, who's already been sent off uh, in the WSL. So this is her second red card and, and nobody's been sent off more times. There's quite a few on too, uh, but she's only uh, young into her career. So, you know, she's got plenty of room to, uh, to edge out ahead uh yeah and I mean it was I mean a thigh it was that it was actually you know higher than Roy Keane's on Alfinger Harland it was it was you know above the knee it was that bad that the the cult of of apologizing on social media for something that happens in a football match is alive and well in the WSL as well it seems well that's it yeah so she she gets abused Georgia Stanway on social media for this tackle which is you know a pretty x-rated one and I suppose we obviously don't want you know um social media to turn into that kind of way and, and yeah I think she had Leah Goldson sort of defended her didn't she online but um, at the same time it shows at least there's clearly a lot of um, high feelings about women's football and, and a lot of attention on it which is you know ultimately what you want to get to you, you ideally want it to be you know capacity stadiums and um, you know and kind of cheering and positivity rather than anything like that but you know a small crumb um, of, of a show as to where it's, it's going but I think the main thing was that the actual the game was, you know, really engaging, uh, entertaining, end to end. You know, I think, you know, playing for with with a woman down for so long with Man City, you'd, you'd think that United would have gone on to, to win the game. But actually, they, you know, Man City scored first. It was a really good header. Some questionable defending by United, I would say, in terms of the marking to the cross. Um, but then United responded really well, got a couple of really good goals. Um, and then Man City struck back, you know, um, with a, a sort of rebound um, goal, you know, after a good save by United's goalkeeper. So I think that, you know, it, all in all, it was a, a good game to have on, you know, um, TV. The, the crowd sounded good. I mean, I know, Andy, I don't know if you want to touch on this, but I, I thought the crowd looked good at, at Lee Sports Village. I, I've been there, obviously, for um, under-23s games where, you know, you, you get a, you know, a thousand maybe and it's not that, you know, not that vocal but it, it felt like it was quite loud on TV but then also there's a flip side where this is a really big game between Manchester clubs and, and could it have been bigger the, the attendance Yeah, and you can argue it both ways 3,700 I mean there was 18,000 in Stockholm this weekend for, for a women's game 
And uh, one of the journalists, Rob Harris, said, this isn't a good crowd. Manchester United is supposed to have a, a billion fans to only have 3,700. Let's look at it. Um, it. It's good for in terms of Manchester United's average attendances. There's an increase in fan culture there. Nat and the Ultras who go to all the women's games, I think they do a really good job. You see all the flags behind uh, the goal. Lee's not perfect. It's 12 miles from Manchester. There's no public transport to, to get there. Um, could it have been marketed better? I mean, it's still a growing sport. It's coming from quite a low base in terms of the average uh, attendances. And the, the in Spain, uh, before COVID, every big club basically sold out their stadium, 50, 60, 70,000 for one women's game. And everyone went and they gave free tickets and they were headline attendances. But it's much more accurate to look at, at the averages. I, I think it's encouraging, but, you know, there could have been another... It could have been three times as many people um, in in that in that stadium. Uh, I think it's really bright to put the game on the international weekend to have the fixture. So it's Manchester United, Manchester City. It was on BBC One as well, so more exposure for the women's game. Manchester United women have come out of a really turbulent summer where they lost players, they lost the manager. I still sense that it, it, it's. Um, it's part of the club which is finding its feet. The, the the former manager wasn't happy about the training arrangements. Carrington wasn't built to have three different professional teams. So that was the club's view on that. It's a loss-making part of a profitable business. United took the time to introduce the women's team, but look at the league table. I think United's women's team are in a good place and the club are serious about it. You saw Darren Fletcher at Lee watching the game on Saturday. I've seen John Murter at several games there when he's been just about the only uh, club club official there. And Manchester City have spent a lot on their women's side and I think they've won one game so far this season. So on balance, I think it was a, a successful uh, Saturday Uh a win would have obviously been better against 10 men city. 10 women city. Sorry, I really put my foot in there. <laughs> um, you touched on it there, actually, in terms of um, City's start, Andy, because obviously traditionally it's, it's City, Arsenal and Chelsea that are the top three and are the teams who, who seem to always qualify for the Champions League. So if their start is, is a barometer for their season, Laurie, this is a real opportunity for United to break into the top three, get into the Champions League, which of course will help with all the, the progress that, that Andy was just mentioning there as well. And I suppose the factor for United was it that if they were to hel- hold on to victory in that game at the weekend, they would have been up in the top three and it would have been a, a real statement because it would have been their first victory against City in the WSL. Yeah, it's a shame that they, they couldn't hold on, particularly having taken the lead, particularly, you know, playing with a person extra. Um, you know, I just think that um, they probably will look back on that with regret because there's not, you know, there's 12 teams in the WSL, you know, so there's not that many matches to, to go through, you know, 22 games, you know, five games in, five points off leaders Arsenal. Um, but that being said, you know, it was a turbulent summer to say the least, you know, where, with Casey Stoney leaving and Mark's going to come in. It took a bit of time. It felt a little bit like the women's team were an afterthought at, at moments, I think. Um, they certainly felt that way. And as Andy's touched on the training facility. So if they can actually come through this with a productive season, I think it'll be um, something that really should be acknowledged. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Football, by the hell. Well, it's certainly been an eventful few days in international football for Manchester United's men. No doubt about that whatsoever. And none more so than Scott McTominay, who produced this from Ali McCoy's. It's John McGinn to float it in! Yes! It's in! By Scott McTominay! 
This is big! This is huge! This is massive! This is Scotland 3! Israel 2! And this is the Scotland way! You just have to go with it! Oh, come on! Listen to this, please! Absolutely brilliant, Ian! And you know something? It's no more than we deserve! Absolutely tremendous! Absolutely magic! I think McCoy was quite happy with that goal. Yeah, it was a 3-2 win for Scotland. Scott McTominay played the game at centre-half, but found himself in the box in the 94th minute and managed to use his groin expertly to divert the ball into the net and earn a vital victory uh, in their sort of bid to get to the World Cup for Scotland. And that'll do him no harm at all, Andy, will it? No, I've got a good Ali McCoy story, if you want that one, very, very quickly. <laughs> go on. <laughs> he used to go out with a lady who I know. And she wasn't interested in football. And he invited her to a game and she went with a green dress on, which in Glasgow could indicate that you're not a Rangers supporter. And Ali was a big Rangers legend. And she said, oh, I didn't know anything about it. Anyway, let's get crack on. Great for, um, for, for Scott. Brilliant for Alex Ferguson. To see him there, you could see like his childlike enthusiasm. Um, it, it, it was at Hamden. And obviously, very important part of his life, and he'd, he'd seen some amazing games at Hamden. And I think if you're you're following your team and they come from uh, behind and win three two with a late winner, brilliant. That's that's what we love about football. And good for Scott. I think he's improving as a player. I think the question among a lot of United fans is: Is he going to be good enough to be a mainstay for a long, long time, or is he going to be more of a a peripheral figure? Uh, great. I think he's in a good place. I think he's improving and I was delighted uh, for him. And I like to see Scotland in international tournaments as well. I like to see their massive uh, following because it was such a long time after France 98 when Scotland didn't reach one. Yeah. Anything that makes Alex Ferguson smile like that tends to make us Manchester United fans smile as well. Uh, another man who made a smile over the weekend, potentially was Jadon Sancho. Two assists for him in England's 5-0 win over Andorra. And again, really encouraging Laurie for his Manchester United form because it's not really got going yet and hopefully this performance can do that when he returns. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, it was only Andorra. Um, but still, the way that he produced those assists was encouraging. Um, you know, the, 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 the run beyond the line of defence and then a flick back to Ben Chilwell. Inventive, you know, un- unexpected. And then his cross into Tammy Abraham um, was a, a real... You can you can see that is the kind of cross... We were talking about crosses earlier. And that is the kind of cross that Cristiano Ronaldo would thrive on, you'd think, surely. Edison Cavani also... You know, Mason Greenwood, you know, that, that run where you're just anticipating it well. Um, so, yeah, I think it was an encouraging performance from him. Hopefully, he can come back from international duty with a smile on his face because he's, he's had England camps before where he's perhaps, I think, come away from it feeling a little bit underwhelmed. Again, I know it's only Andorra. It was on a plastic pitch. I think he's a, a real talented player and I think he, he, we will start to see the best of him. Yeah, a bit more of a roundup for the other Manchester United players in action. Fred got 90 minutes and a 0-0 draw for Brazil against Colombia, playing in holding midfield alongside Fabinho. Edison Gavani came on at half-time in, in Uruguay's 3-0 defeat to Argentina. Didn't have much of a an impact on that game by all accounts. Cristiano Ronaldo, guess what, broke more international records. 181 caps for him now after appearing in a 3-0 win over Qatar, which means he's the most capped outright European international male footballer of all time. He scored in the game as well. He's 112th international goal, which means he's now scored against 46 different nations in his international career, which is more than any player in the history of the men's game as well. And his goal was assisted by Diego Delo, another 
boost really for a Manchester United player in international football. But I think the biggest story really has come out of the Nations League final between France and Spain. It was a 2-1 win for France. Paul Pogba starred in it. Anthony Martial didn't. He was on the bench. Rafael Varane started the game but was taken off just before half-time with what looked like a groin injury. Andy, this is a massive blow, this, isn't it? It is if he's going to be out for Manchester United because he was he's a top player. And also Harry Maguire has had a, an injury as well. So you've got two issues there to worry Manchester United fans, especially with the, the number of difficult games uh, coming up. So I think when United fans heard that uh, Varane had gone off, there was a, oh, no. We don't really, we don't really need this at the moment. I think mm. United needs to have Varane in the side. Yeah, he was sort of posing with the trophy after the game with his medals as well. There was no sign of sort of any strapping or anything like that, Laurie. So at least that was encouraging, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. You know, we'll see this week. We'll try and make. We're at the point where we're analysing pictures <laughs> again. I, I suppose you've got to, haven't you? When it when it's coming up to a run like United have got, you've got to kind of try and figure out what's going on before <laughs> uh, you, you, you know plunge into too much despair. But. Um, yeah, I think that was the, the one thing. He, he, the way it happened as well, he was obviously running and he felt something and he basically just said, you know, I'm coming off. You know, it wasn't like he... Um, it was a, a, a sort of a horrific situation that you're going, oh, that's a, a definite bad one. Um, you hope it's something that's just tweaked a bit and he just feels a bit uncertain. Uh, but yeah, I guess we'll wait until... Um, the scans come back and and we'll see. I mean, you'd think having to come off a game that would mean make him a major doubt for the Leicester game this weekend at least, um, which would then depend on Harry Maguire's fitness. And we know how Harry Maguire likes to you know play through pain. You know, he did it for a couple of months when he had a hip problem in his first season. That does bring into the debate Lindelof and Eric Bailly, um, which would be an interesting um, partnership, I suppose, against Jamie Vardy. Phil Jones is an option as well. On Lindelof, actually, interestingly, he's not joined up with Sweden during this international break. He's remained in Manchester for what the club uh, cited as personal reasons. And we've since found out that the personal reasons are that he's had uh, a baby boy, which he announced on Instagram. So congratulations to Victor. I hope that baby boy is sleeping well because your dad is going to need his rest. Uh, it looks like he's going to be the major part of Manchester United's defence in the coming weeks, potentially. Uh, an interesting point on that as well. The the, the caption was uh, Lillibro. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I'm sure our, our Swedish listeners will tell me if I haven't. And I thought, oh, that's a lovely name. Actually turned out it was Little Brother. So it's a good job I did my bit of uh, Google <laughs> Translate on that one. Otherwise, I would have looked very silly indeed. But he's going to be really important, Andy, Victor Lindelof now, isn't he? And he's got a chance now, really. He already did, in a way, because Maguire was out. But certainly, Ferran's missing too, to remind everyone of his quality. I'm not too troubled by the prospect of Victor Lindelof uh, playing. And I know he's very highly rated at the club. I'd be more troubled by Eric Bailly, who I think has got some incredible attributes. But I always feel there's a mistake in him. And he's obviously had a lot of injuries as as well. So I just think if United are missing Varane and Maguire, then what did he do next? You mentioned Phil Jones. He is actually coming back to being ready to play. And it's, it's, I don't think that um, he'll be playing uh, against Leicester. I just hope that, um, that Varane, as Laurie touched on, it's not, not too serious and that he can play. Just before we end the podcast then, one last question from Matthew. The prophet of doom, I think I'll call him. Um, what are the realistic, that's the word he used, point returns from the next four Premier League and two Champions League games? So the next four Premier League games are Leicester away, Liverpool at home, Tottenham away and Manchester City at home. And of course, the next two Champions League fixtures are Atalanta home and away. 
Andy Misson, you've just yawned. I hope I'm not yawning watching those those games. I think <laughs> two defeats to Atalanta would be pretty disastrous. I think United have got to do better than Atalanta across those two games uh, to be in a position... Four to, points, then. Yeah. Um, and United have got to be beating Atalanta at Old Trafford, really. But knowing this United, they'll draw at Old Trafford and win away, something like that. In the league games, they're all, they're all tough matches, but United really got to be avoiding defeats in, in all of them. In fairness, Leicester and Tottenham have not exactly had swashbuckling starts themselves, have they? No, no. And Liverpool, I said at the start of this season, it'd be a real mark of Ollie's progress if you could go to a side like Liverpool and win the game playing well. Uh, Liverpool have started far better um, than I expected. I spoke to a a Liverpool fan last week ago goes home and away and he just said, I think we'll win the league again. He wasn't being arrogant. He just said, we're playing that well. I think we'll we'll win the league again. And ironically, probably the best Manchester United performance I've seen in the post-Fergie era uh, against Liverpool was when Van Hal's side went to went to, to Anfield. I think Oli has played cagely uh, against Liverpool, not as cagely as Jose Mourinho did when he played against them. And we're seeing a succession of draws, draws, draws which on one hand leaves people around the world going, we thought this is the biggest game in international football. It's really, really boring. But on other, you can see why the caution's there. They're almost playing to avoid defeat. Yeah, he seems to play split centre-forwards every time they play Liverpool as well, doesn't he? Try to get in behind um, the full-backs, the attacking full-backs for Liverpool. I don't think Ronaldo would be able to do that. So it'd be interesting to see how many of these matches Ronaldo features in Laurie and exactly how he's used in these games as well. Because if it's about a pressing style for United or a counter-attacking style, how does Ronaldo fit that? It's a good question. Obviously, we did the, the pressing stats um, in the piece last week. Um, they went online and, and kind of got a, quite a lot of reaction, I think, from people. Sort of saying, well, he scores goals, so so what? But as Andy's touched on, yeah. it does alter the way that United play. Um, I think, I think though, the, you know, Ronaldo starts those games. I just think that's that's the way it is. You know, he's, he's United's you know biggest player now, um, and he will want to be starting those the biggest games. Um, so it's up to Solskjaer to try and find the right strategy to sort of make sure that he gets the chances that he he, he will score. You know, if they, if they give him the ball in the right areas. Um, yeah, I, I I look at those matches and think this is a real chance now for United and Solskjaer to show what they're about. You know, Leicester away. You know, they have been susceptible at home. Tottenham as well. Um, I think United need to be looking at those games and, and saying we, we need to win those games. Likewise, Atalanta at home. Yeah, maybe you could take a draw away to Atalanta. Um, and then Liverpool and Man City at Old Trafford are both games that you think United can't lose if they've got realistic chances of um, being title contenders. So. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a mouth-watering sort of run of fixtures and, and we'll know a lot more about United's season by the end of them. So to answer your question, Matthew, we're looking at four points in the Champions League <laughs> and probably about eight points eight, eight, yeah. in the Premier League if this is to be considered successful. So United unbeaten across those six matches. Wow. But thank you for your question. Thank you, everyone, for your questions as well. Do get involved yourselves if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic. You can still do so with a 33% discount. You can go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to do exactly that. But that's us done for today. Thanks to Andy Mitten and Laurie Whitwell, as always, for joining us on Talk of the Devils. Thank you at home for listening as well. And we'll be previewing that game against Leicester in the start of this tricky spell for Manchester United on Thursday. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.
The Athletic.